Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. Who's a game changer here? Does anyone, anyone think of themselves as a game changer? Good, that's it's good that you do. Because you will never rise greater than what your, your view of yourself is. And I've got properties, and I've just had a property uh, uh, just done, and, um, and it stalled. And me. I thought my builder had his eye on the ball, and he didn't have his eye on the ball. And uh, he's a nice man, he's a good man, and, and we're friends. But, uh, well, we're becoming friends, and it's good. But uh, I just kept thinking, I need to be there. And uh, so I went down last week, uh, because I'm a game changer. I know I've got to grab hold of it. There's a saying by a man called John Maxwell, he said, if it's to be, it's down to me. And it's good, because sometimes we get airy-fairy Christianity, where it's like, God, can you just? And God can just, but often he wants to take us through it. Because he knows he can do it, but he wants us to know that we can do it. And so this is part of maturing as a Christian. If my sons, and they're all like in the 20s and late 20s, two of them are in the late 20s, the other one is he's 23, really handsome, unmarried. Phone number is 07. <laughs> but anyway, if they had to keep coming to me now and saying, Dad, change me, I mean, that'd be very strange. But you see, when they were like, when they were kids and they needed a nappy changing, they were uncomfortable, they'd come to the dad. So you, you, God wants us to grow up. And there's times, like, oh God, I can't live without you. He's going, of course you can. <laughs> you know, I want to be your co worker, I don't want to be your babysitter. Yeah? yeah? And that's how God, He wants us to grow. The Bible says God is like a dad. I'm talking about a good dad, right? So he's a dad, and, and a dad helps you to grow. A dad puts you on your bike, and you're going, I can't do it, I can't do it, because you can. Well, don't let me go, I won't. <laughs> you crashed me. No, you crashed yourself. Come on, we're going to have another go. Till eventually you can ride a bike, and then you're really pleased that your dad helped you, yeah. yeah? And that's what God's like. And I feel like sometimes I'm God's crash test dummy. Just get in this car, don't you? Yeah, don't hit a wall at 30 mile an hour. Why? Because it smashes Dave's head. And in life, you know, there's going to be people that are like God's crash test, test dummies that go before you, and they're the pioneers. They're the ones that they'll like just say, okay, spirit lead me, you know, where there's no borders. Lead, you know, help me to walk on water type thing. And we're the ones that will have a go. And then everybody else has got to come in off the back of it. We're game changers. Roger Bannister, they said it was impossible to run a mile in under four minutes. Roger Bannister ran a mile in under four minutes. And you know what? After that, very quickly, 300 not other people broke the four minute mile. Why? Because he was a game changer. And when game changers come, they open up a way for others. And as a church, we're a game changer church. We're not like normal churches because we don't like norm. We, the, the norm to us is the Bible. And, and, and so, in the Bible, people required miracles to get from where they were to where they needed to be. And when God calls you, his vision and his dreams are often so big that you're like, oh, I could never do that. And God said, of course you can't, because you're a baby. But I'm going to mature you. And some of you, you're not babies anymore. You're more like teenagers. I'm not going to do that. And you're going to get through that phase, and then you're young, 20-something. 20 There's only me, God. Nobody else. There's only me. I am Spartacus. <laughs> and so, I want to speak to game changers tonight. 
and I want to look at being dreamers. And you know, I was saying this morning that when I were a kid, I've always been a dreamer. And uh, my, my favourite uh, 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 kind of film was The Three Musketeers. I used to love The Three Musketeers. And I were D'Artagnan, who wasn't really a musketeer, he was a maverick. Anyway, you're not bright enough to know what a maverick is. A maverick is somebody who doesn't go down the known track, he finds his own way. If that's the track, he goes that way, or she goes that way. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? They get there in the end, but they're not, they're not uh, uh, bad people. They just do it a different way. They think outside the box. Box, I can't even spell it. So anyway, the three musketeers. I was D'Artagnan, because D'Artagnan was the best. I was on Porthos or outhouse or whatever they're called, all, all them are. And, our, and my favourite actor was Errol Flynn. You wouldn't even know Errol Flynn. Errol Flynn, oh, he used to wear, wear these green tights, amazing as Robin Hood. And, and he, was, he was agile and he was always the hero. And I could see myself as, and I, you know, one Christmas, three people bought me the book, The Three Musketeers. And they saw a little dreamer in me as a kid. And you know, we used to have duffel coats, you probably won't know what they are. You know, unless you're a hippie, you, you know, it's like, hey man. I brought my blanket with me. But duffel coats had a hood and like a bar, an itchy bar, because ours were cheap or cheap or what. It said wool, they weren't wool. I don't know what they were made of, but they weren't wool. Wire wool. Anyway, so they had this band across there, so to me that were a cloak. So I'd fasten that band and I wouldn't fasten the buttons there and I wouldn't put my arms in the sleeve. I'm a maverick, I don't do it the normal way. So it's a cloak and my hood was behind there and I'd be climbing up neighbours' walls, up the back, cobbled back streets, running up, climbing up onto the walls. You get your elbows on, you can, you know, just speaking to burglars here. Once you've got your elbows on, you can get in. So I used to go like that and then you'd see old women that bang it, get down, get down, I'm going. I loved it, I was an adventure, I was a dreamer. I was, I was, I've always been a dreamer. And uh, at 19, becoming a Christian, I realized that I've met up with the dreamer, God Almighty. He said, well, he's the creator. He's the creator. He's the designer. He's the one that, that thinks it all through, and then he, he speaks, and he's so eloquent. You know when he said, let there be light, that light, scientists will tell you, light is still traveling. At the speed of, to the power of 200. And it's still growing. That light is still going into darkness and creating light. It hasn't stopped since 6,000 years ago. Wow. <laughs> Last week I was talking about where you are matters as much as who you are. Because God has a place for you. He's got a place for the dream. And so he moves people. We've lived in York for 18 years. And God called us to I said no three times. I didn't know it was God calling me. I'm just a normal bloke from Lancashire. All right, I'm a bloke from Lancashire. <laughs> and, and so... I just thought, no, no, I'm not. I thought I was going to live and die in Lancashire. I were on this estate last week. It was fantastic. This woman comes up and she wants, she's like the mother hen of her brothers. And they're all, all her brothers are 50 odd year old, but she still mothers them. And two of them live in one of my properties. And it's a tough estate. Even the rats go around in twos. It's, it's, it's a tough. <laughs> and I said, how are you doing? I was just about to set off and I didn't want a conversation. I was just about to set off back to York. I've been down there four days and I was tired, feeling sorry for myself. Like, you go home and have a nice cup. As so we're just having a chat with you, she says, I love this estate. Everybody around there is terrified of that estate. She says, I've lived on here 17 years. She says, I'll die on here. She was right proud. I thought, what a great lass. But I had that same mentality. I never thought I'd leave Lancashire. But God had other plans for me, my wife, and my three sons. You know, my three sons hated York when they came here. They cried like babies, probably because they were babies. <laughs> and, um, 
And now they think it's the best thing since sliced bread. When they come back from London, they're saying, oh, life. It's like they're resurrected. You know, they come here, they sleep for about two days, then they come out and goes, bacon butters, Dad. I said, yeah, go and wake your mum. <laughs> so it, oh, it's, it's fantastic. And then they come to life and they say, ain't this a beautiful city? I said, it is. And, um, you know, 18 years we've lived here because where you are matters as much as as who you are. God told the uh, prophet Elijah to move from the brook that had dried up. It was supplying his needs. That was God's provision. And when God's provision dries up, it's a signal to you that he's on the move. Get ready. Change is here. And he wants you to move. And so many of you have moved here and that's good. Some of you are thinking, I'm thinking of moving to Stoke-on-Trent. Yeah, you've got to go if that's the way it is. Oh, right, you've got to go. So, when God gives you a dream, he schedules an enemy. And uh, Evander Holyfield, the, the great boxer, he never commanded a purse as big as when he fought um, Mike Tyson. And I knew I was just pausing for effect. <laughs> Dang. So Evander Holyfield, when Mike Tyson bit his ear off, it was like, oh, that's nasty. That's really, and then they had a rematch. Well, the purse went up. And Evander Holyfield never had, was never paid as much as when he had an enemy like Mike Tyson. God schedules an enemy. God had called David a young shepherd boy long before he was born, eight years before he was born, God called him. And then he's born and then he walks into that calling as a young teenage lad. And he doesn't realize as he walks up to the battlefield and he sees Goliath coming out. He's nine, over nine feet tall, the Bible says. Fell asleep in a grow bag. He was huge. And even the spearhead was um, five bags of sugar, if they're two pound each. It weighed five bags of sugar. That's a lot of sugar. A lot of spearhead, you know. <laughs> There's going to come David's way. David's a young teenager. This guy, Goliath, has been a fighting man since his youth, and he's now about 40 years old. And he is absolutely irritated at this little teenage punk that's coming at him. But David didn't see Goliath, he saw his God behind him. And he thought, you're bigger. God, you're bigger. They all said, he's too big as Goliath. And David got his sling out, so he went, too big to miss. <laughs> wallop, 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 wallop. And he, he had five stones and he only used one. And it went, and the Bible says that the stone sank into Goliath's forehead. Think about that for a minute. You don't have a lot of skin there. I've got a lot of skin there, but you don't have a lot of skin there. And it sank into his forehead and he fell down dead. And David went and cut his head off. He took Goliath's sword and cut his head off just to make sure, yeah? I'm just saying, when God calls you, he schedules an enemy. Why? Because I don't like enemies. I just want to get on with my dream, yeah? I think I'm spoiling somebody's dream right here, right now. <laughs> like, just, can, we not, can we just get rid of all that horrible stuff and let me just have my dream? Well, you can't because the purpose of God scheduling an enemy and difficulties is to strengthen you because you have to change in order to fulfill the dream you and I have to change so the main story that we're looking at is the story of Joseph who God gave him a vision at 17 can we just have a look at that story are you with me so far let's have a bit of Bible and then you know that it's, it's biblical so can we have that up it's in Genesis somewhere there we go Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed the land of Canaan this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17. Everyone go, wow. wow. Dang. 
was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Pause. Bible, wives. I don't want to... It's not about wives tonight. It's about dreams. So, he had two wives there, and he brought their father a bad report about them. He's 17-year-old. He brings a, a bad report about his stepbrothers, who were older than him, more experienced in being shepherds and stuff, and he brings a bad report. He's an arrogant little person, yeah? And he's like, he feels like he can just pass judgment like any teenager or any student or anything like that. They're opinionated, full of opinions. Anyway, and they think that they matter. <laughs> so... Now Israel, that's Jacob, they just changed his name because tax man were after him. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him, an expensive coat, yeah? When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. Siblings know when your parents have a favourite, right? And they could not speak a kind word to him. They sort of, how can I put it, detested him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it his brothers, they hated him all the more. This chapter is full of it. It's a funny chapter, really. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. Pause. No self-awareness. He's 17. They hate his guts, and now he wants to bore them with, this is all about me. Yeah? Anyone know what I'm talking about? You have a friend like that, don't you? <laughs> we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly... My sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Everyone go, ouch. ouch. His brother said to him, do you, <laughs> you can imagine his brother's guy, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually reign over rulers? And they hated him all the more. There's a theme developing here. <laughs> because of his dream, they hated him all the more because of what? Do you think people are going to love you when you've got your dream? Why do you think they won't love you? When you're getting your dream, why do you think people might not love you? Jealous. Jealous. Just because you're happy doesn't mean that they're happy. It's like people will feel like they're being left behind. They hate it. All right, then. His brothers said to him, oh yeah, they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. He didn't just keep the dream to himself, he shared it. Good Christian lad, share. can I share? Can I share it with you? Here we go. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. You're thinking this lad does not learn, does he? <laughs> Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Pause, sun and moon. It's the first time the sun was ever called the sun in the Bible. It took 30-odd chapters. It was known as the light. And they come from uh, an occultic background of, of worshipping sun and moon and stuff like that. But sun and moon represented mum and dad, or male and female. And then you've got the 11 stars. Joseph had 11 brothers. I wonder who the, the 11 stars were about. So, the, the, you know, the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Next one. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I, so he interpreted the dream really well, he understood what the dream was speaking to, and he said, will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? 
His brothers were jealous of him. Spot on. But his father kept this matter in mind. When God speaks sometimes, it doesn't fit. You're a bit confused. But it's good. Mary did the same. You know, Mary, the mother of Jesus. When Jesus was born, people came and said all sorts of things about Jesus, what was going to happen in his life. It's called prophesying. And they spoke God's word into this young baby called Jesus. And it troubled Mary. But, oh, sorry, it didn't trouble Mary. It says that Mary stored these things in her heart. Because sometimes when God speak, speaks, it's not for now, it's for then. And the story of Joseph is, is like that. Why do you think God would speak such a colossal vision into a young boy's heart? Because he's saying, let me put it like this, God didn't tell him the whole of the dream. Because if he did, it would have terrified him. He didn't tell him he was going to rule a superpower called Egypt. He just said, your mum and dad and your brothers will bow down to you. He didn't say why, that you're going to be the, the prime minister of Egypt that made gold, you know, like, like it was going out of fashion. You know, I mean, they were just, it was such a colossally rich nation. And he's, God's sharing his, his, his desire and his, his will for this, this nation, because this nation was going to feed lots of other nations as well. God was going to use Joseph to save a lot of people's lives. Yeah? And, and so he told him at 17. Why would he tell him at 17 when he's too immature? You don't tell a secret to a 17-year-old lad. Clearly he can't keep a secret. He's told his brothers, who ate him even more. Why did he start at 17? It's not because Joseph was ready or even good enough. It was that he needed time to work on him so that when the time was right, when he was 30, he would be ready. And God will speak a dream into your heart and into my heart, and it's not for now, he's getting us ready. And he's going to schedule enemies, and he's going to schedule problems, schedule all sorts of things, obstacles. And you think, the devil's having a go. It's not the devil. He's, some, he's in somebody's armpit. He's, the, he's, he's nowhere. He's God Almighty shaping you. And he'll use the devil. The devil's still God's servant. The devil is still God's servant. A disobedient one, but he's still God's servant. And when God wants to, to, to do some stuff, he'll use Satan to come and attack us, but he keeps him on a lead. And, and the Bible says God will not let you be tempted more than you can stand. And God will provide a way out through your faith. That's why it's important to keep walking in faith. Sometimes I'm as weak as a kitten. I was sharing that this morning. Sometimes I'm as weak as a kitten. And, and, but when I come to preach and stuff, I'm preaching to myself. And, I, and God's word, like Daniel. Daniel says, your word entered me and strength filled me body. And, and, and that's what it, sometimes you'll be as weak as a kitten, but we have fellowship. And so many people, when they have trouble, they say, oh, I couldn't come to church. Well, I've had a bad week. I'm not going to church. You think, well, you're an idiot. Because that is God's way of strengthening you. It's like, duh. It's like being in the army and saying, I'm having a bad day. I'm not going to fight with you guys and train with you guys. I'm just going to go home, have a cup of tea and sulk for a bit and then take the enemy on. Stupid, <laughs> isn't it? But we've got to get this. We've had so low opinion of church. We need to understand Psalm 92, planted in the house, they will flourish. Planted in the house of God. Awake, awake, O Zion. Zion being a metaphor for God's people. Awake, awake, O Zion. Come clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, O Jerusalem. Oh, I'm writing poetry now. Gosh. Fantastic. But you learn that in church. 
And, and I don't just mean a church service, I mean a community where you're in, in and out of each other's houses. What's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. And by the way, I've just took it. It's a beautiful thing, community, where we have all things in common, where you rub each other up the wrong way, who's ever fallen out with your friend? <laughs> who's ever kept a friend? But you see, that's how we grow. But God will schedule an enemy, an obstacle, to strengthen you because the vision and the dream is going to be bigger than you and he has to stretch you emotionally. He has to stretch you, your mind. God doesn't put big dreams in small minds. God doesn't put big, big finances in small wallets or purses. God doesn't put big vision in timid, timid hearts. He doesn't. He's got to start where we are, to be fair, but he has to grow us. And he has to stretch us. And 10 years ago, I started, just a bit longer than that, I started getting properties and I had this lovely idea. I've been watching homes under the armor. I thought, oh, I'd like to do that. And I like renovating. And I love decorating. I loved, past tense, decorating. <laughs> well, the problem is when you like something, then you have to do it. And then you have to do it like 14 properties. So it's like, I've got to keep doing it now. And uh, it loses its, its kind of, its wonder, shall we say. You just roll in a wall like that. <sighs> Then you have to cut in like that. All right, like that when you've had a drink. <laughs> God schedules difficulties and stuff to stretch you so that when the time's right, when the vision's ready, the dream's ready to be birthed, then you're ready. And you're ready to carry it through. And when Joseph was 30, he was ready. But his life had gone like that. So his dad, it was his dad's favourite. Yay! His brother's hated him. Boo! But his dad sent him on an errand to, and, and God gave him a vision and stuff like that and dreams, I should say, two dreams. Said, wow, God spoke to me. Shares it with his brothers. They throw him into a pit and then sell him into slavery. But he gets out of the pit, out of slavery, and he's bought by a rich man, not just a poor man, but a rich man who goes and lives with Potiphar. Way! And he's like buzzing now. And then, and, and, and then he meets the housewives of Egypt. And one of them fancies him. His boss's wife. And she comes on to him and she says, sleep with me, sleep with me. Every day it says, sleep with me, sleep with me. He's 17 year old, the Bible says he's handsome and well built. I'm just saying, look, walk through the story of Joseph. He's going through puberty. He's got, so 17 young men have nothing else on their mind except sex. I, I, I don't want to spoil it for everybody, but it's just the way things are. <laughs> he loves me, he doesn't love you, he's 17. Anyway, just saying. He meets, he meets with Potiphar's wife. Come to bed with me, come to bed. One day she'd engineered it so that there's nobody in the house except her and him. And he's in his robe. And she comes and she takes hold of his robe. And he couldn't get free. So eventually he takes the robe off and he runs out naked. He runs out naked. And, he's, and Potiphar's wife said, this Hebrew came to make sport of me. He tried to rape me. This is a law. Potiphar comes back, he is fuming. He has him thrown in prison. We're getting lower now. So he goes to Potiphar's house, yes! He doesn't sin against God or his boss. He keeps his integrity and it costs him. And now he's being accused of something that is just not true. And he gets thrown into prison. He has to deal with injustice. Has anyone accused you of something you wanted to tell everyone? No, it's, it's not true, it's not true. You know that self-justification? He had to live with that for years. And then he's in prison. But God gave him favour while they were in prison. All right, so small up. 
And then one day, two men get thrown into prison and they had both had bad dreams. They both worked for Pharaoh and he interpreted the dreams. One, is, one uh, uh, had his head cut off and then the other one was restored back to his job. And Joseph said to him, remember me when you get out of prison. The Bible says that this man forgot Joseph. People will forget you in your dream. Don't forget he's still got the dream in his heart. And you'll tell people your dream and you know what? They'll ignore you. They walk away. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I'll, I'll remember you. And he forgot until one day Pharaoh had a dream. He had two dreams and they both troubled him. And he said, who can interpret my dreams? And his magicians couldn't do it. And then his cupbearer turned around and he said, he said, I'm reminded today that I've forgotten. I should have said about this guy in prison. He could interpret the dreams. So they got Joseph out of prison. And then he makes him, the, he, Joseph interprets the Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh says, this man's amazing. He's, you know, let's make him the prime minister. Everyone's going, yeah, yeah. Put the gold ring on his finger. Put ch gold chain on his neck. This is what the Bible says. He had a pimped up chariot. That's what I've just made up. Uh, so when he came into town, <laughs> chariot used to go like that. <laughs> so Joseph was coming in. And he's all blinged up. And that's only part of this. The, the story is massive. But God didn't tell him all that. He just said, your mum and dad are going to bow down to you. So he's going to be a leader. He's going to be a ruler. God doesn't tell you all the trouble. Because yeah. God's positive. And he knows how frightened and fearful we are. And so he's kind. He doesn't tell us the detail of things. And then when you experience it, you feel like God's left you. Or like God didn't know. And sometimes we pray like, God, I can't believe it. And we're all panicking. Like God, God's like, Jesus, what are we going to do? I never, th I never thought that this had happened. Of course he knows. He's engineered it. And he's getting you ready. And he had to get Joseph up and down and up and down. I'm winning, I'm losing. I'm winning, I'm losing. I'll never get out of here. I can never get out of this situation. I want you to rem remember them words. I can never get out of this situation. Because Joseph, even though God Almighty had given him a dream, was in prison and nobody was thinking about him. Not his, his, his brothers, even his dad thought he was dead. And the guy we asked to remember, and he'd helped the guy, he'd forgot him. And there's a verse in the Bible that says, even, a, even if a mother forgets her child at her breast, I will never forget you. That's what God says. He knows, he's, he's watching you. But you'll feel God forsaken because like, God's not sort of like turning on the charm and helping you at that point. Why? Because he's, he's walking you through it. God can deliver you out of something, but it takes greater faith for God to deliver you through something. And he's going like that. And what does that make? If you had to turn it into a circle, it makes a crown. And eventually, through all your troubles, God will crown your life with good things. Why? Because God is essentially good. He's a good God. Well, I, well, what about God is essentially a good God? You've got to grab hold of that. Because there's details that we don't quite get sometimes in the Bible, but what you've got to get hold of are the big things. God is good. Well, why did God, I can't believe that God gave my grandma cancer. He didn't give your grandma cancer. God can only give what he's got. You can only give what you've got. God can only give what he's got, and he's only got good things. So he can only give good. I wonder where cancer came from. I wonder where bad things come from. But you see, if you don't believe in a devil, you've only one person to believe, to, to accuse, and that is God, a good God. And it's a lie, and the devil is the father of lies. Listen, when God gives you a dream, your dream is not the end result. Your dream is your way to your destiny. 
So if I could rephrase this talk, I'd say, from dream to destiny. Your destiny is not the dream. It's just a way of taking you to your destiny. And that's, and, and that's, that's a time and a place of satisfaction in life. I'm in my lane. I was born for this. Shelly, my wife, brilliant lady, you know, but at 12-year-old, God called her to be a midwife. 12-year-old. And she trained and trained and trained. And for 30 years, she'd been a midwife. She'd been a nurse a little bit longer as well, but for 30 years. And she'll retire next, is it next year? She'll retire back end of next year after 30 years service. Just amazing what God will do with her life and a young girl that gave herself to him. And, you know, he blessed her with me and, you know, stuff like that. It's just been an amazing life for her. Well, we've had a great life, haven't we? We're not about to die, by the way. We're all, we're all right. <laughs> and Shelley's retired not because she's old. She's young. But she's, after 30 years, you can retire. And Shelley just says, I want to spend more time around church. And I mean, you know, and for friends that don't know Jesus, let's, you know, let me just shorthand party. She just said, we need to party. And I said, that, that's, let me pray about it. I said, I think you're right. I want to challenge you to invite God for God to give you his dream for your life. You see, Shelley being a midwife was God's calling on her life and it's a beautiful thing, it was a vocation. But you know what? His greatest dream that's been on Shelley's life is to reach the lost, people who don't know God. And that's been my dream. I've given my life to it for 30 odd years. Reaching people, I mean, trying to be all things to all men. I've been to so many 60th retirement, 65th retirement things, you know, and you're like, you're dancing with people, you're thinking, I am dying on the inside, you know. And you, you're just trying to be the party, you know what I'm saying? And, and you're just trying to fit in with people that are not your generation. And then I, I'm with the young and, you, you know, in it, in it, in it. And, and, and I'm trying to fit in with them and I'm too old and it's like, who's that creep on dance floor? In it, in it, in it. <laughs> Feeling a bit stupid, you know what I mean? And then I go to Biltmore and I think, oh, at last, heaven. I, I'm home here, you know, because we're all 50. 50 years old. But contorting ourselves to reach the lost. And I want a church that's the same. I want a church that's got his vision on the inside for the lost. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. God only ever had one son, and he made him a missionary. Somebody that will go and reach the lost. And God wanted more sons and daughters, so he took his own son, and he sawed him into the ground. You know the law of the blood? The law of blood is this, that something has to die in order for something to live. And God didn't spare his only son. He engineered it that he would be speared, crucified, a crown of thorns put on his head, mocked and beaten mercilessly and unjustly. He was innocent. And Joseph's life story is a mirror of Jesus' life story. Even Joseph was betrayed for 20 shekels of silver. Jesus was betrayed by 30 shekels of silver, but the point is they were both betrayed for money. And there's many, many points of a similarity in Joseph's life, picturing when the Messiah comes, this is what he'll be like. But Joseph remained faithful. And he said to his brothers, when eventually he met up with them, he said, he said, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. He said, my life is about saving all these, probably millions of people from starvation. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for every single human being, man, woman, and child that's ever lived to give them an opportunity 
of eternal life. But more than that, being reconciled back to the Father. Adam and Eve had brought a great divorce between the human race and God, and Jesus brought us back together. The Bible calls the first Adam, the first Adam who failed. It calls Jesus the second Adam, who lived an obedient life. And here's the thing. Some people say, you know, you Christians, you think you're better than us. But when you meet a true Christian, it's not that we think we're better, it's that we know that we're bad. See, people think Christianity is about being good, good, good. No, it's about recognizing you're not good enough. If we were good enough, why did Jesus have to come and shed his blood to pay the price for your sin and my sin? We've done something bad. We've done something eternally bad. And we need forgiveness. And we had a debt that we couldn't pay. It was too big for us to pay. So God sent his son to pay the price with knobs on. What do I mean with knobs on? It says in Romans chapter 8, if God didn't spare his only son, but freely give him, you know, gave him up, he said, how will he not freely, along with him, Jesus, freely give us all things? God is a compulsive giver. You know the measure of love is giving. That's how you can tell that there's love there. Mothers give to the children. It's awesome. Anyway, I spoke for too long tonight and I'm just getting going. I could, get, I could go for another hour. And I know you believe that. And that's what's scaring you at this moment in time. But I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ tonight. And we do this every week. And it's just a simple act of faith where you just raise your hand and say, I want that forgiveness. I want that reconciliation with God. I want eternal life. And it'll be given to you freely. Not because you deserved it, because you don't deserve it. And I didn't deserve it. We receive it as a gift. We haven't earned it, we just receive it humbly as a gift. Let's just bow our heads. From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website 